Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Welcome to Sunday Church at Lakeshore. My name is Pastor Gail. I'm the senior pastor. And I don't know what campus you normally attend or if maybe you don't even attend our church and you just happen to find yourself on this particular program. I'm so glad you're here though. But if you do attend our Tinga K campus especially or if you're a regular online, this probably looks a little different. And let me tell you why. Uh, we're finishing up a series today and that's what we're going to do in this particular study. But we also had another something that was very special. We felt it was very important that we brought live on our TKK campus called Worship 101. And so uh, if you missed that, we're going to have that ready on video. You should be able to watch that really soon here. And I really want to encourage you to do that because it goes along with some things we've studied in this particular series. And I just think it'll be a real blessing and a real strength to you as we understand some more about what it means to worship. How do we invite the presence of the Lord into our individual lives and into a church service? And then what that means when God actually shows up. But if you brought a Bible today, open it up to three passages. We're going to look at Romans chapter 11, and then we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 25, and then we're going to end in Isaiah chapter 11. So that's Romans chapter 11, Proverbs chapter 25, and Isaiah chapter 11. And for those of you that have been either on campus or tracking with us online, you would know that we've been in a series called Building a Strong Christian Life. And today's our final lesson, lesson number 10. And the premise of this series is building a strong Christian life is not, you know, different in many ways than following a recipe. If you'll follow the recipe, you have the right ingredients and you have the right measurements and you have the right cooking instructions in the time and you fold all of that together, the outcome is predictable. You're going to get the results you want every time. Well, in the very similar way, the New Testament gives ingredients really we, they're disciplines, that when we incorporate them into our lives, that we allow the Holy Spirit to measure them and to fold them in and to, to keep them moving in our life, he uses that to shape us, to strengthen us, to sustain us, and to satisfy us with the supernatural life that the Bible promises he'll give to us. All those promises, all that supernatural divine intervention and help and all of those things that we read about and we think, why doesn't that happen to me? Well, this is how it does. And so we've been looking over that carefully, and today we're on the 10th and final ingredient that we're going to cover. And so let me just kind of do a quick recap so that you can get some of these fresh on the table and, and see whatever, what all's there, what we've been looking at. Um, and then if you want to go back, you're, you're welcome to. But the first thing we looked at was the importance of a passion for souls. And then we talked about a passion for God's Word and a passion for the Holy Spirit, both as a person, but also what He brings to our life. Then we talked about a passion for worship, and that's this worship 101 that we're working on. We talked about a passion for prayer and developing a passion for giving and how we honor the Lord with our substance. And then we talked about a passion for holiness and a passion for humility. And this last Sunday, we talked about a passion for authority. And today brings us to number 10, and we're talking about a passion for the fear of the Lord. And specifically, we really want to wrestle with a couple of things today. What is the fear of the Lord? and what the fear of the Lord's not. And then we're going to take a brief glance at some of the benefits that's promised for those that 
uh, begin to develop themselves in the fear of the Lord. And I'll point to you in the workbook about some of the consequences that we can find in the Bible when you don't walk in the fear of the Lord. And, uh, and it's going to be very, very helpful. And it's so important because the fear of the Lord says is kind of like a hinge or a valve. And it's what allows the blessing of the Lord to flow in our life. In fact, just as an, in an overview, the fear of the Lord is a deep reverence, a deep respect, a deep intimate appreciation for who the Lord is and what the Lord does, what he brings to the table. And the Bible says that it serves as kind of a regulator. So when we are walking in the fear of the Lord and we're developing that in our life, it allows the, the, the word of God, the presence of God, the power of God, the blessing of God to keep cranking up the, the, the intensity or cranking up the volume. And we, we're able to be trusted with more and more in our life because God knows that we'll handle it correctly, that we'll respect, be respectful, that we'll pay attention to what he says to do and how he says to handle it. However, on the other side, wherever the fear of the Lord is lacking, then the scriptures are really clear that it will inevitably end up in a mishandling or a disrespecting of the presence and the power of God, which will cause the blessing, the flow of divine blessing to begin to diminish. And so we really want to make sure that we're, we understand and we're putting ourselves in a position where the fear of the Lord can continue to grow and can develop and can stay where it needs to be so that God's interaction and God's blessing can flow. Uh, I want to turn your attention to the workbook. Uh, if some of you have been to one of our campuses, you can pick up a hard copy. If not, they're all right there online, downloadable. This is the third workbook of a set of three, and this is our final one. And uh, obviously, uh, when you start looking at these lessons, we can't cover all of this in one message, which is part of the reason why we wrote the workbook. We want those of you that, that are hungry and want to be able to understand more, we want you to be able to read through this like in a narrative form. It's about a 10-minute read. Some of the stuff I'll cover today, and I'm going to help kind of guide you through that. And hey, here's what's in your book, and here's what you won't see in your book. But we're going to give you a really good overview of what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord. It's not a comprehensive detailed study. It's an overview, but the workbook gives you an opportunity to follow support scriptures and kind of go on the trail and study deeper and allow the Holy Spirit to show you some things. And so today, uh, as we talk about the, the, the word of the Lord, let's first begin by rightly divine, uh, de define rather, what is the fear of the Lord? And I think one of the first things that we need to, dis to, to distinguish between is the difference between, the f between fear and respect. And this is where in your workbook, you're going to see right there in the beginning, beginning of, of the study, some great examples, some introductions about when parents are teaching their children in some of the cautionary areas of life, you know, don't touch the hot stove. And, and what does that look like about, you don't have to be afraid of stoves. You just need to respect the fact that there's a heat element there. And if, if you're not careful, you can get burned. And the same thing with an employee versus an, an, an employer is you don't have to be afraid of your boss or afraid of your, your company, but you have to realize that there are certain rules and certain uh, requirements that you were hired. And as long as you're doing what you're required to do to the best of your ability, you don't have to be afraid at all, but you do have to respect them. But I want to add a couple that were so instrumental in my life that may add to those and, and kind of bring it to a, a greater picture for you. And the first one in talking about the fear of the Lord as I grew up, 
I first caught a hold of an understanding of the fear of the Lord because of my dad. Now, for some of you that have been here and, you know, you're on campus and, and we've been walking together for a while, you've heard me tell stories, but my dad was just a, a naturally strong man. He was what would be considered back in the day, kind of a John Wayne, a man's man. And, and, uh, and, and he, but, but on the other hand, he was a little bit not like the normal strong man or man's man because my dad was really fun. And he was super affectionate, uh, but again, he, ha- he was very serious and sober about his authority and about discipline. Now, before I say anything else, some of you may have grown up with an abusive father. And when I talk about someone being strong and a disciplinarian and authoritarian, you might, you know, it might bring up triggers or might bring up thoughts of, of abuse or, or things that you've still suffered or bad memories you have. And then last thing I want to do is marginalize any of that. We, we'd love to minister to you if that's you. But let me just say this very clear. That's not my story. Uh, me and my two brothers, we understood two sides of my dad, and we always felt safe. Even when dad was in the discipline mode, we never felt unsafe, like he was going to harm us. We just knew that we were about to experience the wrath of, for disobeying dad. So we always felt secure. We always felt, you know, very safe around him, and we loved being around my dad. We would run to dad, not run away from him. But at the same time, Again, my dad had another side of him where he was, he was as fair as he knew how to be, but you better respect his rules because if you broke his rules, there were consequences. And as much as we loved and we laughed and we, you know, we joked and we had a great relationship with dad, we trembled at the, at the thought of suffering the consequences when we broke the rule. In fact, back in my day growing up, there was this saying, hey, and mom would say it often, you just wait till your dad gets home. And that wasn't just kind of a one-liner that was popular in society. To us, that was a sobering appointment. Like you weren't even threatened, this is just a fact. You crossed a line somewhere and there's no going back on that. Wait till dad gets home. And that taught us something about the fear of the Lord because we understood what it meant to have this respect, but a healthy kind of fear over my dad. Now hold that for a minute. Let me put another one on top of that. Because I also grew, grew up with a fear, with a healthy fear and respect of power tools. Uh, my dad always was working side jobs, trying to put food on the table, and most of these were construction-type side jobs. And so I remember dad introducing me and my brothers, uh, respect, respectively, to power tools probably when we were about in middle school. And, uh, and, and he, you know, he always taught us power tools are great, man. If you have to use hand tools, if you have to, but power tools are going to up your game. They just bring this whole nother level of effectiveness and, of, you know, pro- get the job done. And, and he said, and they're fantastic. But dad taught us that you have to respect power tools. You've got to be eyes wide open. You need to know what you're doing. And here's the way he used to say it, because your power tools don't know the difference between the board you're trying to cut and your fingers. 
And as once you put it in go mode, whatever's in front of it, it's going to do what it was designed to do. And so once you power up this power tool, you better have made sure that you've got your work area clean, that you've got your work in front of you, that your eyes are wide open, no distractions. And, and then you can move forward because once you, once you power it up, complete attention and respect is not just suggested, it's demanded. And so I grew up with those two kind of living examples all the time. And as I grew in age and on into adulthood and including in my relationship with the Lord, I began to ask myself this question. Well, if I had this healthy fear, this healthy respect for my dad and this healthy respect for power tools, how in the world can I not develop this healthy respect for the God that created and owns it all? You know, the all-powerful one, the omnipotent one, the all-present one, the wise one, the, the one who was from everlasting to everlasting. How can I not just, you know, sit up straight and eyes wide open at that? And it sent me on this journey to begin to understand what is the, what is the fear of the Lord mean? And one of the scriptures that landed in the middle of me the most and still to this day points me back to a calibration of the fear of the Lord is in Romans chapter 11, verse 22. And let me just read it to you from the New King James Version Bible. It says, therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God. <clears throat> and then there's a pause. And then it goes on to explain, it says, on those who fell, and in the context we're talking about those who failed to respect and to reverence God's word and, and God's ways, it said, on those who fell, severity. <laughs> and then it went on and said, but toward you, and the inference in the, in the text is, Towards you, those who are attempting or who are aspiring to reverence and respect God and his authority, he said, but to you, goodness. But then he pauses and he says, if you continue in his goodness, and listen to this, otherwise, <clears throat> he said, you also will be cut off. In other words, there's a hinge here. God has two different sides of him. <clears throat> One side's a very loving, nurturing father, and the other side is not mean and abusive. The other side is just a God of order and a God of truth and a God of justice and a God of discipline. And it said, you get to choose which side of God you experience as you're moving through the journey. So let me go back to my dad. I remember, you know, sitting down at dinner time. We didn't always get dinner at the tables of family, but we tried to get there as often as we could. And I remember on the nights that everything was going great, <clears throat> we'd be laughing and we'd be joking and we'd be sharing our day together. And, but I remember those times when earlier in the day, I had heard that sentence from my mom, wait till your dad gets home. And not always did dad take care of it directly, you know, right when he walked in the door, depending on the timing. And so I remember lots of times we're sitting through dinner and conversations happening and other people are laughing except for me because I knew there was a severity hanging in the air. And I knew what was coming. I didn't know when it was going to come. I didn't know how it was going to come. But I knew there was something hanging there. And this is what Romans 11:22 saying. We get to decide that. God has a good side. And as long as we are endeavoring, not perfect, but as long as we're endeavoring to, to be in a relationship and do the best we can and, and move in, in the directions he set, then we get to experience the wonderfulness of God. 
But if we choose to get on the other side of that, especially when we're hard-headed and rebellious and non-repentant, he said, listen, you better be prepared because there's a severity of God and you'll be introduced to that. So let, let's park that for a minute. And I want to I share with you four other types of fear that are in the Bible that are not the fear of the Lord. But it's important that we at least look at this because the enemy uses these other types of fear just to distract and to deceive and to, to kind of, you know, muddy the waters about us being uh, in the fear of the Lord. And it's really important. Now, listen, this is not in your workbook. Uh, but we'll come back to your workbook in just a few minutes. So here's four different types of fear. The first one's a natural fear. And I know that some people right away, yeah, but the Bible says we're not supposed to, we, you know, God didn't give us a spirit of fear. We're not supposed to be afraid. Well, well yeah, but, but there's some natural caution that we, we, you know, we're born with and we develop that as we get into life and realize life can be a pretty dangerous place sometimes. For example, uh, I, I'm not an expert, but I'm told that studies say that babies are born and they really don't have any fear except for loud noises. They're startled by it <clears throat> or the fear of falling, the sensation of falling. And, and they're, that they're startled by that. And so that's a fear. But as the babies get a little bit older... And they begin to realize things and they, maybe they're touching something they shouldn't and they experience, you know, a little, a little prick or a little, a little heat or something. They begin to realize, wow, this is a pretty scary place. And listen, that's normal. That's natural. That's developing our senses to realize that we've got to understand how to walk through life. That's not the fear of the Lord that, that, that the Bible's describing. It's not that kind of a fear with the Lord. But, in, but, but the fear of the Lord in this case will help to regulate that so you stay in the natural cautions and you develop in a healthy way there. The second fear that the Bible talks about is what I'm going to call a demonic fear. And this is where that 2 Timothy 1.7 is an appropriate place to quote that God did not give us a spirit of fear or some translations say timidity, insecurity. We, we don't have to live like that. This is not the natural fear. This is where there's an excessive reaction to something. A, a response has been developed that's more, that's beyond the rationale of a natural caution or a nat natural fear, sometimes to the point that it just takes a person over and the person really struggles to regain balance or to regain, you know, kind of a, 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 an acceptable and normal response. And listen, that's not what the Bible talks about and it's not what it's using to describe the fear of the Lord. In fact, Instead, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord will set you free from that. You can have such a confidence and such a reverence and respect for God that you become convinced that he's your protector, that he is your safe ground, and all of that other, you know, uh, all of that other intimidation, all of that other insecurity and timidity just begins to evaporate away. So the first one against the natural fear, that, that's not a bad one. Fear of the Lord will help to regulate that. The second one is a demonic fear. That one should have no place in our life, and the fear of the Lord will chase that away. Here's number three, a religious fear. This one can get a little more confusing for some people, but Isaiah 29, 13 says this, the Lord says, so this is God talking, these people come near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship 
of me is based merely on human rules they've been taught. So this kind of fear is a religious fear. We're, we're coming to church. We're serving the Lord because we don't want the punishment or we don't want the consequence. So you're saying the right thing. You're even trying to be at the right place at the right time, do the right thing, but not because you have a relationship with God, not because you want to please him and grow with him because you don't want, you know, you don't want the consequence from that. And here's what Jesus said. He was addressing these kinds of things in Matthew 15, verse number seven. <clears throat> and he called the religious leaders hypocrites. Now, hypocrites is not, I say that I'm a Christian, but I, you know, I fall and I stumble. And you're like, wow, your lifestyle doesn't match up with what you, you know, you say you believe. That's part of a growing process, at least in the healthy way. But really the word hypocrite from the actual Greek word is where we get the word actor. And it meant somebody that was, that had learned to adapt their behaviors and conform their behavior to a certain model, in this particular case, a religious model, but their heart wasn't in it. They're, they're just acting. They're in costume. They're saying the lines and they're going through the motions because right now they're in a little bit of theater. And there's a lot of Christians, that's the, how they've grown up in church. This is why when they get older, they don't have the relationship or the word of God in their heart that, that convicts them or galvanizes and strengthens them to continue to walk with the Lord. They just came to church. They may have read their Bible. They may have tried to not do the bad things and do more of the good things, but it was all play acting. It was all just going through a script and going through the motions and making sure you're checking boxes and it wasn't in the heart. And the Bible says that's not the fear of the Lord. In fact, what, what the fear of the Lord will do is replace that kind of religious play acting with a relationship with Jesus. And all of a sudden, all those other boxes that you felt that you had to check, all of a sudden, those things take on meaning and you want to live in a relationship with the Lord. That's what the fear of the Lord does. So number three is, is a religious fear. Here's the fourth, the fourth one, and it's a fear of man. And listen to what Proverbs chapter 29 verse 25 says. It says, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Now that phrase, trust in the Lord, is another way to describe someone who's walking in the fear of the Lord. In other words, they have enough respect for the fact that God's being truthful, that God has integrity, that God's faithful. If he said it, he meant it. And if I'll follow it, he'll do what he promised he would do. That's putting our whole trust in the Lord. And the Bible says that if we'll do that, we'll be safe. The other side of it is the fear of man. And the fear of man is the opposite of trusting the Lord. It's rather than me trusting the Lord, I'm more concerned about what other people think and what other people are going to say. And when you're living with the fear of man and you're more concerned about, well, what are my friends going to say? And what's my spouse going to say? And what, you know, what's the guy on the job going to say if I start living this way? Then listen to me, that will inhibit your ability to deepen your relationship with Christ and to walk in this reverence and respect of God because you're more concerned what somebody else thinks than you are about what God thinks. And listen to me, your spouse wouldn't let you get away with that. Your best friends wouldn't let you get away with that. And God doesn't let us get away with it either. The fear of the Lord will absolutely set you free from that. It's not that you don't care what people think in a callous way. It's just that what God thinks is so much more important and so much more valuable. 
that you will walk straight and you'll lean in and put your trust wholly in him. Even if other people don't understand and other people criticize, you'll say, I, I hear you, but I have to do what God's telling me to do. And you'll lean into that. And so those are some fears that we can get caught up in that oftentimes will mimic, you know, well, this, well I just doing it because I, I, have, I have a fear of the Lord. Maybe. But if you look at one of these four, then that's not the fear of the Lord. You're just getting tangled up into something else. Here's something else I want to look at, and that is that the fear of the Lord, again, what I talked about in the beginning, is this regulator. It opens up the valve to allow the blessings to flow, or at times, a lack of the fear of the Lord can begin to close those valves up. And on page number 42, starting at the bottom in your workbook, there's a, a couple of scriptures that open it up. And then there's a whole list of scriptures. It's just a sampling, by the way. There's so many more. But it's a sampling of scriptures, uh, primarily in the book of Proverbs, that talk about what walking in or developing a fear of the Lord, what are the blessings that are opened up and begin to flow into our life? So I'm gonna read you a couple this morning. One of them's in your workbook. The first one is, the second one's not. That'll kind of set the stage. And then I just might highlight and mention a few that are listed in your book just so that you can uh, put eyes on them and, and underline them if you're following along. So Proverbs 25 verse 14 says this, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. And he will show them his covenant. Now I got to walk through a couple of these words because this verse is so rich that once you understand what it's promising, then the fear of the Lord again becomes so attractive. And you're like, I want to develop that in my life. When, when it says the secret of the Lord, this particular word refers to an inner circle. This is like, you know, the, the, the secret club, the inner circle. And in this inner circle, this is where private details that are not shared with just anybody, but these private details are put on the table and discussed so that everybody that gets in that inner circle is in the know. And this is what it says that the secret of the Lord, notice, is with those who fear him. But look at this next statement. It says, and he will show them. This particular word, phrase, he will show them, is really all from one Hebrew idea. And this Hebrew idea is that, uh, that God is pulling back a curtain, that he's revealing something, that he's giving insight or instruction into that something, and that it's not a one-time thing, but he's opening up something and then he's continuing to build on that and to develop that uh, so that you can see his plan, firsthand knowledge, and you can see in full detail what God has planned. And if that wasn't enough, listen to the last thing that we're going to point out. It says he will show them his covenant. And this particular word covenant is the Hebrew word where we get a binding agreement. We did a study not long ago called under contract. And that's exactly what the Bible talks about. God was so wanting us to know how serious and how committed he is to doing what he promised he would do. That the Bible said he signed a contract once in the Old Testament and then another one with the blood of Jesus in the New Testament. And here's what he's saying here. That that inner circle, God's desire to open up and to share some things with those people that have a close and a personal and an intimate relationship with him, that that belongs to those that are developing this deep respect and this deep love and reverence and appreciation for the Lord. And it says to the point that God will pull them in and start opening up details about what he plans to do and what's in his heart to do and what he's willing to, to offer them. And he'll do it 
developing it along the way so they see it progressively more and more and more. And in fact, he's so serious about this that he put it in the contract. This is absolutely ironclad. It's not a, well, you should try this because God probably, this is God says, I can't get out of it if I want to, but I don't want to, so much so that I signed the contract. I'm guaranteeing you, if you'll develop the fear of the Lord, this is what you're going to experience. So that's like this open valve to the insights and the blessing and the personalized instruction of God in any area of our life. But let me show you one more scripture. This one's not in your workbook. In Psalm chapter 19, the first part of verse 9, and listen to what it says. It says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. <clears throat> and that word clean is such a rich, expansive word because it does mean clear, a clean. It means pure. It means undefiled. But it also carries the idea of not just being clean, but a cleaning agent, and it's talking about the fact that when we get the fear of the Lord in our life, not only is the fear of the Lord, not only does it bring a cleanness or a purity to our life, but it acts as an ongoing cleaning agent or a purifier in our life so that when other things come and thoughts and words and pictures and ideas and temptations, that it just runs through the filter and it just cleans and purifies them and just keeps us moving and keeps us focused on this. But not only that, notice this, it says that enduring for Forever. That particular phrase tells us this is not just right here in our time on earth while we're growing in the Lord. It means this is what undergirds the culture of heaven. This is what we'll be experiencing forever and ever. When we'll get to see Jesus, we'll get to see the Heavenly Father for who they really are. And our reverence and our respect for them will just swell beyond what we thought it could. And that will be this cleaning agent that will just keep purifying us and moving us forward in eternity forever and ever in a right relationship with God. And so you can see the fear of the Lord first opens valves and, and regulates the covenant, the contract of God to come to our life. And God pulls us deeper into the intimate circle but also it's a cleaning agent, it's a purifying agent, and it keeps our motives and our thoughts pure as we're in understanding what God says. We also understand why he said it and what that means for our life. And the fear of the Lord just, just begins to work and moving us in a right and a pure and a healthy and a growing direction. Well, there's a number of scriptures that, that you'll see right there in your workbook. Proverbs chapter 25 verse 13 says, that the fear of the Lord allows us to dwell in prosperity and our descendants uh, are promised an inheritance right here in the earth. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord's the beginning of wisdom. God, I need wisdom. Tell me what to do. Well, the fear of the Lord is the first step and it opens up to trusting God to tell you what to do. Proverbs 10 verse 27 says, the fear of the Lord will literally lengthen your life day by day. Make sure the hours in the day are working like they're supposed to, but give you lots of days on the earth. It prolongs your days. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 26 and 27 says, the fear of the Lord brings a strong confidence on the inside. And listen to this, and a fountain of life. In other words, you just feel rejuvenated and refreshed and revitalized. You're not worn out and beleaguered, even though you might get tired and you need some physical rest or some time off. Inside, you know, you just got this fountain that's bubbling up and you're full of the confidence of God and you've got vision in your heart. All of that begins and, and comes from the fear of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 20, 23 says that the fear of the Lord brings a satisfaction. Doesn't mean we're not aspiring 
uh, for more, for more growth and for more fruitfulness. And, but there's a satisfaction even while we're growing. And not only that, while we're growing, the fear of the Lord brings a protection from evil. We could go on and on and on. And there's more listed in your book. But all of these are promised blessings. And there's, so, again, so many more that all come and they initiate themselves from the fear of the Lord. As we're growing in the fear of the Lord, these things begin to compile. They begin to open up. They begin to intensify and accelerate in our life. But as if we don't walk in the fear of the Lord and we begin to take God for granted and we begin to discount his word and discount his authority and discount his power, then the Bible says these things begin to diminish in our life because God will not let them uh, bring hurt to our life. Now, we don't have time to cover, but there's a good, a good nice, nice long narrative. It's a story in the book of Acts that gives you a, a kind of a great unfolding about the benefits of the fear of the Lord that were seen in the New Testament church, followed by the consequences of, of, uh, of violating the fear of the Lord that were experienced by two people, Ananias and Sapphira, uh, Sapphira in, the, in the New Testament. And so you can go read that. But I want to state, I want us to finish today because it's important that we see a few more little details so we can really flesh this out in our life. I want to finish today and I'm going to look at three summarizing things again about what the fear of the Lord brings to us so we can really lock this down. And the first thing is fear. Because both in the Hebrew language and the Greek language, you can escape that it's not just reverence, it's not just respect, but there is part of this that's that's fear. It should make us tremble when we begin to understand and, and, and experience who this God really is. In fact, he's so powerful, he's so imposing that even with this relationship, of covenant love and his heart's tender and he so loved the world that he gave Jesus even though the relationship is thick and racks us in a security blanket when you begin to really understand and see who this God is and just how omnipotent and majestic and powerful he is it's terrifying I mean just terrifying to stand in front of him not that you're afraid of him what he's going to do for you but because oh my goodness he's more awesome than you can possibly imagine and one example that we get, we won't, we won't read the story, but you can go look at it in Exodus chapter 19. Just let me kind of give you some of the highlights. God had invited Moses and the whole nation of Israel to come to a mountain. And he said, I'm going to go sit on the top of the mountain and I'm going to descend on the mountain. He said, and I want you guys to come close to me because I want to talk to you. I just brought you out of Egypt and you're the nation that I want to be the kings and the priests in the earth. And so I want to come talk to you. And so here comes Moses and all the children of Israel. And as God began to descend, the Bible said that the top of the mountain was covered in this thick, thick cloud. And all of a sudden, the sky began to boom with these thunders, boom, boom, boom. And lightnings were flashing all over the place. And there was these explosions of fire that were coming out of the mountain. And the earth began to shake and begin to tremble. And, and then we heard this divine trumpet that was sounding. It was blasting in a majestic announcement that God is coming and stepping onto the scene. And, and they were watching all this real time. And as they were watching, they were freaking out. Not that anything was a threat to them, 
They were invited to come into the presence of God. They were his chosen people. He had just delivered them from the nation of Israel. He loved them and wanted to draw close. But when they got to see firsthand who he really was, they said, yeah, we, we, we don't want any part of that. It just freaks us out. And they literally backed it off and said, Moses, here's the deal. You go talk to God and then tell us what he's going to say because we don't even want to get in his presence. Someday we'll experience a little bit of what, what they did. Because we will stand in front of the throne of God and we will see just the, the awe-striking power of God. And it'll cause us to tremble. Not, in, not we're afraid of him, but kind of like my dad, you know. I, he was a powerful guy. And I felt so safe and secure around him. But I also knew there's another side of him that he is powerful. And I stood in awe. I was a little bit afraid to get on the wrong side. And that's part of the, the definition of what the fear of the Lord is. Here's a second element, and I've used it a couple of times in the last sentence or two, but it's awe. It's this, uh, this cause for astonishment. Listen to what Nehemiah 1, chapter 1, verse 5 says. Nehemiah calls God, this is what he said when he saw God. He said, the great and the awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those, listen, who love him and obey his commands. Love him and obey his command. That's the fear of the Lord right there. So for those that fear of the Lord, then God keeps his covenant with them. We've already read that in other, other verses. But when that happens, you begin to realize he's just an awesome God. And here what it's trying to communicate is when we begin to realize just how faithful God is, just how gracious he is, just how merciful he is, it's just, it's just awe-striking. I mean, it's so, it's so hard to get our head wrapped around sometimes that we'll talk ourselves out of it. Well, you know, that can't really mean that. No, that's exactly what the scriptures mean, that his mercy endures forever. In fact, the Bible says he's rich in mercy. And the word rich comes from a Greek word that literally means not even God can calculate how rich he is in mercy. Because his mercy keeps replenishing and keeps growing and keeps expanding. And so he doesn't even know where his mercy will end. And so the Bible says it's awe-striking to recognize just how incredible this God is. And that grows us and helps us to develop the fear of the Lord. The more we understand that, the more we're just in awe. Like, no way, God would really do that? That's really who he is? And the answer is always resoundingly yes, yes, yes. Here's the third and final one, and that's reverence. And, and I've used this a bunch of times in this particular study because it kind of captures that rich middle ground that the fear of the Lord is this respect, this reverence, but it also is talking about, it, it brings us into a worshipful place. It brings us into a place of submissiveness. We put our mission underneath his mission because we have such a respect and such a reverence for who he is and what he does. And this is the last passage I ask you to open to, Isaiah chapter 11, and we'll bring it to a close right here. But let me just read to you a prophetic word that was given hundreds of years before Jesus ever came, but it was about the Messiah who the New Testament would introduce as Jesus. And here's what it says. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots, a branch that will bear fruit. In other words, 
Uh, Jesse was King David's father, and from that family lineage, you know, kind of picture a family tree, from that family lineage, here comes one of the branches, and one of the branches is the Messiah, is Jesus, and, and this is what he's going to look like. And so from there, Isaiah is going to give us seven different characteristics or seven different attributes that this Messiah would demonstrate in real time in his life, and that was one of the indicators. Yep, that's the Messiah. There he is right there. I can see all seven of these things. Well, the New Testament is so clear, that's absolutely Jesus. In fact, many of the times, nope, I'm going to back up. Every time that we look at it and say, and there's our example, that's exactly how we're supposed to act. It's always pointing back to one of these seven characteristics. And the Bible promises that since we have accepted Jesus as our Savior, that we have the opportunity to see these same seven characteristics begin to grow and develop in our life as well. So let me read you what they are. And, and I'm going to highlight because they're bookend. So number one and number seven serve as bookends for the other five that sit very comfortably in the middle. Listen to what they are. Verse number two, here's the first bookend. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And that's where everything initiates. We would look at that as being born again, as having the Spirit of the Lord come in and dwell us and then come and empower us on us. But the Spirit of the Lord, having the Holy Spirit in our life, is what re regenerates us and brings us to life. And that's the first step and what activates the rest of this reverence and respect to God that we gave our heart to God. Well, Jesus didn't have to get saved because he was born as the incarnate Son of God. So he was all human but all God. And so the Spirit of the Lord rested on him from the time he was a baby in his mother's womb all the way through his life. And so it says the Spirit of the Lord, that's the first one, listen to this, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, the Spirit of knowledge, and listen, this, this should, you should catch this, and the Spirit of the fear of the Lord, there's the backside bookend. Now that's really important because as we stop and we recognize that's what marked Jesus as the Messiah. You could see these seven characteristics in him, all of them put together. You could say, wow, God is moving in his life. No wonder he has such a relationship with the Father. No wonder how, why heaven responds every time he prays. No wonder why the resources of the kingdom are available to him. Because look, this is what he demonstrates all the time. And again, this is what the Bible says that we can demonstrate. Can you imagine if you and I could read through that list and we lived our life consistently and, and people would say, wow, you're demonstrating those same seven things that Jesus did. Can you imagine what that would do to our relationship with the Heavenly Father? Can you imagine the, the supernatural power and provision and protection of God that would begin to move in our life because we were demonstrating these seven characteristics? Well, that's exactly how Jesus did it. And that's exactly how we're told to do it, to allow the, 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 these seven characteristics to fold into here. But I want you to notice verse, verse number three. This, this is really interesting because when you think about all those characteristics, characteristics, the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge. You would think, wow, look through that list and which, which one is the one that you'd like the most? Which one you say, man, if I could only pick one, here's the one that I, that I really want. Well, let me show you which one Jesus picked. Verse number three says, and he, this is the Messiah, this is Jesus, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. 
You know what, which one that he, that he held the closest to him? You know which one that he enjoyed and appreciated, he valued the most, and he leaned into? It was the fear of the Lord. You say, why? Because the fear of the Lord opens up everything else. It cleans and calibrates and, and purifies. It, 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 it regulates the blessing and the flow of the power, and everything revolves in our recognizing and respecting and reverencing, and sometimes in a healthy way, even trembling at the power and the faithfulness, the integrity, the wisdom, the strength of this God that we serve. And Jesus understood that. And so he put his delight. He said, nope, I know where I'm going to put most of my focus. And that is on continuing to develop a passion for the fear of the Lord. Because when you do that, everything else begins to flow. Well, let me close with a question today. Where are you at? When it comes to the passion for a passion for the fear of the Lord. I'm not looking for you to feel condemnation in any area, but just take a little quick assessment. Where am I at? A- am I living in a developing fear of the Lord? Not, nobody's perfect. We're all growing. But do I feel like as we're leaning through this, no, I've got some of those healthy characteristics. Or did I see myself in one of those other four fears that the Bible says will tangle me up, will distract me? will take away from the fear of the Lord by moving this other type of fear over into an area of my life. And listen, if that's the case, then you just simply need to come back and you need to ask the Lord, invite him into your life. Have enough reverence and respect to say that I'm going to put my trust in you, Jesus, and I'm going to come in. For some of you, that might be the first time today. For some of you, that might be the first time in a long time. And there might be others that just with the busyness of life and all the pressures, things tend to pile on and you get clouded. And today, boy, just help you to see something real clear. But listen, there's no time like the present for you to open up your heart and say, Lord Jesus, I really want you to come in. I want you to help me to develop the fear of the Lord. And I want you to take all the other distractions away. Let me be like Jesus. Let me grow in the power and the provision and the protection that God offers because I reverence and respect him. In fact, bow your head and let me just lead you in a little prayer right now. Repeat this after me if you want. Say, Heavenly Father, Lord, I repent of anything that separates me from you and from the fear of the Lord. I'm inviting Jesus into my life afresh, whether that's the first time or the first time in quite a while, but I need you to come in, Lord Jesus. And in a real and a relevant way, Holy Spirit, teach me to walk in the fear of the Lord now. Purify and clean my life. Open up the valves of all of your blessing and renew and restore me all over again. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.